Well, let's thank God. Dear Lord God, we're grateful for the company of the saints. We're grateful for the word in front of us, and we're grateful for the minds to consider. Lead us as you would have us. In your son's name, amen. Well, I was, I was noticing we were singing Christmas carols this morning, and I noticed a theme. Put my fingers in the theme. Well, it was 89. It starts off with angels we have heard on high, sweetly singing o'er the plains, and the mountains in reply, echoing their joyous strains. Then the next page, 90. I came upon the midnight clear, the glorious song of old, from angels bending near the earth to touch their harps of gold. Oh, hark the herald angels sing. Glory to the newborn king. Uh, what else we get here? Uh, there's a song in the air. Guess who's singing the song in the air? The beautiful sing. That's the angels. The heavenly throng. That's uh, angels from the realms of glory, wing your flight o'er all the earth. Is there anything else? Any other angels? There's a few other angels. Did the uh, O Holy Knight have angels? Hear the angel voices. Hear the angel voices, yes. Now, angels are pretty graphically cool. You know, uh, I have a number on my Christmas tree. And little Ian, who has, has developed a Christmas tree Jones, has, wants everyone to draw him a Christmas tree, and his choices are star top or angel top. Um, and we, since we have an angel on the top of our tree, angel top sort of, uh, his maturity uh, brought him to that place. Now, it's biblical too. I mean, Gabriel shows up, and Gabriel had been, he, he was in the book of Daniel 500 years earlier, uh, talking to the prophet Daniel, and now he shows up and talks to the Virgin Mary. So he's in the picture. And then there's that shepherd's thing with the heavenly host showing up. And they talk to you. Uh, then they go up in a in flame of fire to heaven. Pretty impressive. Um, the, the host, just a glorious choir of tens of gazillions of angels singing at a group of 17 shepherds had to be had to be uh, effective and then sometimes they would visit the prophets, something like I mentioned with Daniel tell them things that would, they would, the prophets would turn around and tell us angels are a pretty big deal especially at this season now um, and it's not a crime to like angels I think you know, they are God's servants but as I was thinking about it and the effect that Christianity thinks it may have at times like Christmas, it's good for us to remember what we may not neglect. I'm looking at Hebrews chapter 1, first verse. In many and various ways God spoke of old to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days he has spoken to us by a son whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He reflects the glory of God and bears the very stamp of his nature, upholding the universe by his word of power. When he had made purification for sins, 
he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has obtained is more excellent than theirs. Now one of the difficulties is, is we understand angels. Angels are a nice, like I said, a nice graphic introduction. They got a couple of wings. They look like somebody from the Renaissance. Uh, they always hover very nicely. Um, I always notice they hover without flapping their wings. They, just, they were just decorative on the... Of course, we don't know that angels have wings. But we're, we're used to them. We're used to them in paintings because we're always a little... You know, it says, do not make a graven image of God. And so we tend to leave God less represented. But, but angels, boy, we can go to town on them. But we're being told here by the writer of Hebrews that Jesus Christ, the Son, edged out the prophets by rank. God used to speak to us through the prophets. Now he has spoken to us by his Son, who made heaven and earth and holds the universe together. and as much superior to the angels as his name is more excellent than theirs. And, you're, and, and what I want to encourage the Christians at Christmas time is that we, in, the, in the overwhelming offering of a Christian culture of centuries of piling enough holly together, and things we really enjoy getting together. My family has boil-in-a-bag omelets. I don't ask. But it has to happen. Certain things have to happen. You can see your little six-year-old starting to insist there better be whatever your family tradition is. Because at Christmas time, certain things matter. There's, there's something about this. Uh, I, long time ago, had kids that were in school and had Christmas programs that I then had to attend, which would sooner drive an ice pick into my thigh then go to a Christmas program. But what's the tendency of a parent at Christmas program time? You know you've got to go. Who cares what the other kids are doing? Right? And your little Johnny is up there forgetting his lines, breaking into tears, and you're filming it in a jerky video to post on Facebook. You think that's gold, that's seeing a little kid cry in front of others. But it's your kid! Isn't that just, isn't that great? And I, you know, sometimes that's a kind of a dark, uh, so well, what's, that, what's the point there? It's a Christmas program. It's about the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not about your kid crying, your kid forgetting his lines, your kid even being there. You even being there. It's just this little hoop we jump through at schools. You make little chains out of construction paper of red and, what's the other color? Green. Simple projects that make people think of, I don't know, slavery or something. We, we get suckered by the lesser. We get pulled into a, a bunch of pleasantnesses. And no crime in the pleasantnesses. I grew up in Annapolis, Maryland, and, and occasionally there would be parades. And in a military town, Parades were as they ought to be. They were military. The odd thing about a military parade, there didn't seem to be any point to it. 
They just got from here to there by parading. Here, you go, you go to a homecoming parade, you have the band, and you have a color guard, and then, as if the heavens were opening, a county commissioner drives by in a car. So it's understandable, a kid watches the parade, and they're looking at the drum corps of the Vandal Marching Band. They're interested in all the prefatory announcements. Who cares there's a county commissioner in an open car waving and throwing candy at you, trying to buy your interest? So we get interested in the things that, that announce the supposed important thing. Now at least, at least, in England, when you have a parade, and I mean, when they have a band and a color guard, I mean, they have bearskin hats and they overdo it. You think that every kid would be overwhelmed, overwhelmed with the marching and the resplendent uniforms and trumpet. Why are they less so? Because there's a queen in the carriage, a queen, not a county commissioner. And they, they grovel to their ineffective constitutional monarch. They're just thrilled. They're weeping. Now it's the, what's his name, Prince William? And what's the Duchess? Duchess. Women, you should know this. Kate. Kate. Duchess Kate. Your next king. No, I mean, not your next king. Unless we luck out and Charles passes on. Um, now, what's the difference? Being thrilled with what's coming and being thrilled with the fanfare. Thrilled with the message that announces the thing more than you are thrilled with the thing. Thrilled with your own kid in the play, not thrilled with what the play is about, who the play is about. Thrilled with things singing about angels, I still, you know, and the beautiful sing, it still affects me. I've been tracking how I feel affected. The wonderful thing about O Holy Night is those two lines. Um, I think I've mentioned this before. Behold your king. Uh, the third verse, verse also, let all within us praise his holy name. Christ is the Lord. Does that phrase alone? I like singing about angels. Angels like singing. How are we to be reminded? The writer of Hebrews has decided to remind us of the supremacy of our Christ above everything else. Primarily here in the first chapter, his name, he's much more superior to angels as the name he has obtained is more excellent than theirs. And then he goes into his argument. To what, for to what angel did God ever say, Thou art my son? Today I have begotten thee, or again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. And again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. Of the angels, he says, who makes his angels winds and his servants flames of fire, but of the son, he says, thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. The righteous scepter is the scepter of thy kingdom. Thou hast loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. Therefore, God, thy God, has anointed thee with the oil of gladness beyond thy comrades. That is a quote from Psalm 45. And you know where he's going. The writer of Hebrews is, is pushing you 
to say, okay, as religiously friendly as angelic visitation is, they are exciting, they say important things, they are, what does it say? They are servants of God, you know, as flames of fire, as winds. But we have something else on our plate. We're Christians. We're not angelites or Gabrielines, if that's a word. I want you to think about this quote from Psalm 45. It's often referred to because of the argument over the translation from Psalm 45. Uh, <coughs> I hear, I have it here on the side, left-hand side. Your divine throne endures forever and ever. This is starting with verse 6 in the psalm. Your royal scepter is a scepter of equity. You love righteousness and hate wickedness. Therefore, God... Your God has anointed you with the oil of gladness above your fellows. Now, we track pretty reasonably with that. The Septuagint, the Greek version of the Old Testament, reads like you see it there in Hebrews. Thy throne, O God. And there's much argument because it says thy divine throne doesn't seem to be making any kind of uh, identification of who it's about. But it's calling the subject God. Which is odd, given the psalm is probably about David, or one of David's sons. It's a marriage psalm. And the, and the psalmist is, you know, if you have a Bible nearby and you want to look at it, um, Psalm 45. On the king's marriage, it's to the choir master according to lilies, a masculine of the sons of Korah, a love song. My heart overflows with a goodly theme. I address my verses to the king. My tongue is like the pen of a ready scribe. You are the fairest of the sons of men. Grace is poured out upon your lips. Therefore, God has blessed you forever. Gird your sword upon your thigh, O mighty one, in your glory and majesty. In your majesty, ride forth victoriously for the cause of truth and to defend the right. Let your right hand teach you dread deeds. Your arrows are sharp in the heart of the king's enemies. The peoples fall under you. And then he says, thy throne, O God. The writer of Hebrews is pulling that phrase in from Psalm 45 to say the, the, the psalmist, sons of Korah, are prophesying something of the Christ. And he is claiming that that de de deified state of the coming Messiah, the son of David, who is not just a son of David, not just a future king, not just the expected Arthur at the end of days, whatever it is, not just another great Israelite king, but God himself. Because he says the name he has received is that much more excellent than the angelic. The angelic, Gabriel, Michael, the archangels, archangelos. That sounds really important. It's really great. I mean, how is the son greater than the angel? 
because he is God. Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. Now, I actually have in this point more to say out of Psalm 45 because I did include more there on the left hand side. I, I had for space purposes and not frighten the parishioners I trimmed off quite a bit of the text. It tells you there in Psalm 45 from ivory palaces stringed instruments make you glad the daughters of kings are among your ladies of honor at your right hand stands the queen in gold of Ophir. Now we don't know which queen this is, which of David's wives this is celebrating the marriage of, if it's about David. But then it speaks to the bride. It speaks to the bride. Hear, O daughter, consider and incline your ear. Forget your people and your father's house, and the king will desire your beauty since he is your Lord, bow to him. The people of Tyre will sue your favor with gifts, the richest of the people with all kinds of wealth. Now, in this day and age, with all that is going on in politics and all that is going on in Hollywood and all of our concerns about second wave, third wave feminism, whatever it is, I'm not, I'm, you know, I'm not here to talk about whether or not every wife should look you know, coyly at her husband sitting next to her in the pew and, and go, he is my Lord. I will bow to him. Now, I might like that, being a dude. It might even be biblical. But the point this morning is, this is the, when I had the memorable verse, I, since he is your Lord, bow to him. This psalm was pulled out by the writer of Hebrews as pointing to our Christ and I go back into the psalm and find this marriage psalm where the bride of this God is enjoined to forget where they came from. Forget their father's house. Become beautiful that the king would desire you. Understand he is your Lord and bow to him. And that's what the teaching of Hebrews deals with. Verse 13 of Hebrews 1, But to what angel has he ever said, Sit at my right hand till I make thy enemies a stool for thy feet? Yeah, what angel did he ever say that to? But having said it, not to an angel, but to his son, not to an angel, but to God himself, I'm, I'm supposed to register something there, that I'm I'm walking down the aisle of my wedding and all of us are in the feminine in this circumstance. We are all the bride of Christ. We are walking forward and we are hopefully recognizing that God the Father has asked him to sit at his right hand. Are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to serve for the sake of those who are to obtain salvation? Therefore, verse 1 of chapter 2, therefore we must pay the closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. Because this announcement, 
The prophets used to speak, but now his son has spoken. The angels used to sing, but now he who they serve and we who are served by them must recognize this other relationship as central to who we are. We must pay the closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For if the message declared by angels was valid, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, and you scratch your jaw and you say, yeah, I always took those angel messages real seriously. Angel will show up, say something, you know, yeah, it's not just a guy making up stuff. That's an angel. And you know that if you don't listen to the angel, you get what you deserve. Right? Angel comes to you and said, invest in Bitcoin. And you don't. Because it's a bubble. And of course, then everybody having Bitcoins, ooh, wealthy beyond croesis. And uh, you're not. It didn't obey the angel. If an angel expects this, how shall we escape because you would need to escape if we neglect such a great salvation. If what was angelic was important and would be punished, we again have had a son, a god, far more excellent than angelic. How would we escape if we neglected what he said? It was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard him. He himself was here, making purification for sins, bearing this very stamp of God's nature. The fullness of God dwelling in him bodily. He said it. I have three books, four books, which are largely quotations of our Lord, telling us what he did and said to various people on this planet couple thousand years ago. And then the people he said it to, massively impressed, more impressed with him than with the angelic, wrote it down and told us about it and taught people and founded churches around the Mediterranean. And you today, a Gentile in North Idaho, probably as far removed from Jerusalem as you can get, certainly removed from civilization, we sit in an artificially warmed building, because we need to be artificially warmed, and uh, believe. We listen, declared first by the Lord, then attested to by those who heard him. While God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit, distributed according to his will, for it was not to angels that God subjected the will, the word to come, the world to come, of which we are speaking. It was not to angels. Now, we have to pay, pay closer attention. When the bride says, he is my Lord, I will bow to him. We've got room in every... What if angels show up? They're not, that, they're not authority crazy. They're not trying to run the show. They're, they just bring in a message. We kind of like that. Fine with that. 
It's like the drum and bugle corps. It's like the uh, kid on the stage. We like the, the things that are part of it that are kind of nice to look at, enjoyable, and don't change our lives. But you realize at the end of the parade is a queen and not a city councilman. A queen can command your service. A queen can send you into battle to die for Great Britain, and you should do it. They have, they're in charge of you. When you realize you have a Lord, when it says, behold your king, and you don't think Disney, kind of the shuffling, their kings are always about that tall, with a big white mustache, and shuffling around and being, and being bumblers. I don't know how they ever were princes, because princes were this tall, and, and then they married the really hot girl from the kingdom neighbor, and then he shrank and got a big white mustache. We like to mock those who are our lords. The very fact I had to warn you about this passage that, that I don't know what your views are about men and women, that they should be biblical. You should look at this passage. The very fact, because we don't like lordship. We don't like kings. We don't think we should have kings. You have a king. Doesn't matter what the United States is all about. We're part of a monarchy. And Jesus Christ is Lord. Neglecting it's a big problem. The problem we have right now is, is it's Christmas time. And she say, it's always this way. A holiday shows up, Mother's Day, and Evan will preach some sermon against mothers. I just, I take my opportunities. Christmas in a week. And I'm ruining it for you. Because Christendom has decided that Christmas, Christmas is not just a, a hill to die on when EMSI put the Merry Christmas on the side of the silos. It was not... It was not just, well, that's really nice. In this day and age, it's a shot across the bow. It's, people are really annoyed when someone says Merry Christmas and not Happy Holidays. Now, Christendom has decided that Christmas, I mean, Macy's is almost synonymous with Christmas. Right? My wife likes Macy's. Anybody who's a good American likes Macy's. It's Christmas. Now, I have right after the Hebrews passage, passage from Colossians 2, that I had to tighten up quite a bit. It's worth reading all the way from, well, the beginning of the book. Look at this, Colossians 2.16. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in question of food or, and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of what, only a shadow of what is to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. And some of your ears caught on that word festival. A festival, you say. The baby Jesus, you say. A little straw in front of the church, out there on the lawn, you could build a little crash, erect it every Christmas, and have the fraternity brothers, when drunk, steal the baby Jesus. Because that's what happens in this world. 
or the real cattle you used wander off. We could be all about, a let's make this more of a festival. And the Christians think that they are doing Jesus a favor by making his supposed birthday, which was probably in March, um, more and more of a festival. And Paul's looking at you like, don't pass any judgment on anybody regarding a festival, a new moon, or a Sabbath, or food or drink. These are only a shadow. And Macy's is making it more than a shadow. American celebration of chestnuts roasting on an open fire, whatever that means, is such a big thing that godless infidels still snuggle up next to a Christmas tree in their Christmas pajamas and their cocoa. Damned eternally, but their hearts are warm. Because it's like a Courier and Ives print. It's like a Dickens moment. Everybody's designing this festival to look more snow-draped and more sparkling. The substance belongs to Christ. Your allegiance, just like as a bride in antiquity, 1000 BC for David, some girl was being told, forget where you came from, forget your father's house, obey your Lord, bow to him. We all have to learn this lesson. Who is our Lord and what is our substance? So that I never, I mean, it's, uh, you go over to my house, it's decorated. Not on the outside, can't afford that, but inside. We have a tree, we have festoons of fake holly. It looks very Christmassy. I think I learned this from my father, who's... I remember finding out at one point that my mother and father had contended over whether or not Christmas was going to be canceled in our house. I think, I don't know what year that was. Do you... It was North Cherry Grove. So, early grade school or... Some say. You were young. I was younger. Because of the consumerism and the lack of, you know, this is not really Christian. My mother convinced him, you will not ruin our children's lives. <laughs> so we dove headlong into Christmas tide. Now we never really, there were no Santa, no anything like that, but just we celebrate the culture's Christmas. But it's part of the culture, it's not part of your Christianity. Nowhere in the Bible does it say, and have a festival for Jesus' birthday. Doesn't ever tell you that, does it? Doesn't even tell you that the colors chosen by God are green and red. Doesn't tell you anything. Our culture invented, handed that to you. All this sensuality, all this thrill, I designed angels, that I have a number of angels hanging on my tree, and a cigar ornament. I have a cigar ornament, I have Buckingham Palace, I have the White House. It's out there. Important tree. We have to realize that our faith at this time of year is being leaned into by the shadows that are fine for you to have the shadows if you know the shadows are shadows. As soon as the Jew 
keeping the traditions of Moses, thought that they were more than they were, he fell into error and sin. If you think that Christendom's handling, handing you this festival of Christmas was something you just for the next month or so want to just be totally wrapped up in, instead of being wrapped up in your Lord, not obeying your Father's house, but obeying your Lord, not just serving a shadow, but failing to serve the substance. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on self-abasement, oh, and the worship of angels. Let no one disqualify you. Looking at the worship of angels, taking his stand on visions, puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind, and the key moment here, but not in bold, and not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. And so many times, it's Christmas that everybody says, this holds you together. This is family time, around the fire, playing Parcheesi, or some modern game. It's great to have family time. Parcheesi is a fine game. You will not go to hell for playing it. But, when we take these other paths, all the sensuality, I mean, it's not sensuality like, here's a bottle of vodka, let's get drunk. Or this is a woman in a short skirt, let's think unpure thoughts of her. Not that kind of sensuality. The whole thing, I mean, when you listen to the carols, they have a progression to make you get the feels. The lights the colors, you know it's not beauty because if it was beautiful you would have it up all year because that's the way beauty is, it doesn't shut off around two weeks from now. Nothing more dry and dark and forbidding than a Christmas tree up in January. Some of you may have an emotional problem and that's still an issue for you, but it's not actually beautiful, it's seasonally beautiful, but the sensuality lands on you and all the rules and expectations are there. When you're offered sensuality, when you're offered the worship of angels, when you're offered up the thrill of the artificial, the shadow, you're no longer holding fast to the head because the whole body, our real, actual point of joining is our being together in Christ, not our being together in a cultural celebration. Do you know the brothers and sisters you have in the Lord in this room as brothers and sisters in the Lord? Have you spoken of Jesus Christ to them? I mean, there's really no fear in this, right? It's not like walking up to someone in the mall and saying, have you heard about Jesus Christ? This is walking up to people in a church and saying, have you heard about Jesus Christ? This is at a, a Christian social gathering and saying the Lord, you know, the Lord is good. When you can speak of the things of God and Christ, knowing that's what's holding you together. It's not the colors red and green. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the universe, this is an if. 
if with Christ this happened, if you walked the aisle as that young bride to a new Lord, to whom you must bow in forgetting what you were bowing to before, why do you live as if you still belong to the world? Why do you submit to regulations? Here, you know, we could go on about, you know, legalism and the like, but here I'm tying it together with that young girl's admonition <coughs> that she should forget her father's house and whence she came and bow to her new Lord. If you died with Christ, if you do not want to neglect the supremacy of Christ over all this other. You will not escape if you neglect it. This is much superior, this is more excellent, and this is how the book starts, and it works its way forward into that thought all the way through the book. Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to things which all perish as they're used, according to human precepts and doctrines. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting rigor of devotion and self-abasement and severity to the body, but they're of no value in checking the indulgence of the flesh. And we think that if we just push more Christological terminology into the cultural festival called Christmas, we're doing much for the Lord. But it's really only the gospel, not Christian standards, not Christian rules, but the Christian gospel. Christ died, made, what does it say, when he made purification for sins. Because the things that, everything else about Christian, you might say, lifestyle standards, if I were packaging that up under the, the sensuous benefit of Christmas, um, I would not be successful in checking the indulgence of the flesh. It has never worked. It hasn't worked for 2,000 years, will not work when you try it. If then you've been raised with Christ, if with Christ you have died, back in verse 20, and if then you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Once I recognize that he was seated at the right hand of God, once I recognize, remember that was back in verse 3 of chapter 1 of Hebrews, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Paul says, seated at the right hand of God. That's where my thought must be. I should be letting the redcoats with the bearskin hats and the fanfare of Baroque magnitude march on by and just into my peripheral vision because I'm looking down the street for the queen. I want to see Jesus Christ. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. You've heard that quoted a lot of times just to get, you know, lift your interest to things that are more eternal. I don't want to, that's not where we're at today. I mean, that might be good advice. When he's saying that, he's saying that you know, on the heels of seek the things that are above where Christ is, then it says set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. Have you? Does the carol that you love the most, for me it's Hark the Herald, I just sing. I don't know what yours is, favorites? No, okay. Hark the Herald, I just sing, is the church's favorite carol. 
You can get caught up in our sensuality of the festival. We can get caught up in the joy of centuries of the greatest, you know, Mendelssohn, Haydn, Isaac Watts, Charles Wesley, I mean, brilliant artists handing us these things, and it's bound to be beautiful. But I must set my mind, I must shake that Isaac Watts, Charles Wesley thrill off myself and go, okay, in a free moment with some eggnog, I might, I might really enjoy those things. Not a problem with enjoying them, but I must not forget. I must not neglect. I must set my mind on Jesus Christ. He is above. For you have died, verse 3, and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. We have died with him. We've been raised with him. And we put Christmas in its place, celebrated as a cultural good time with Christian meanings, by putting Christ in his place fully. It's a more glorious place. Do you understand anything? A lot of times Christmas is the most glorious thing any American can think of in their calendar year. They can't imagine anything by their own birthday is not that glorious. It's Christmas. You see lust for things descend on children's faces. Wrapping paper. Have you, do you have anything more important than Christmas? It better be your Lord. It's a, uh, it's something that's going to require your meditation because it has set your mind on. Consider these things. If you're in Christ and you've died with him, if you're in Christ and have been raised with him, your mind should be in a certain place about all of this. And now it might have been easier for the first century church not having a Christmas yet. They hadn't developed the concept of having a party once a year on his birthday. Uh, it took a few centuries to get to that, but we're still obliged to hold to this, that our Christ is greater than the festivals we might sucker the unbelievers into celebrating with us and giving all sorts of deals and decorating all their stores, all because Jesus is Lord. But that's not where we are. We ought to be seeking our King. We ought to be finding our Lord and bowing to him. Let's thank God. Dear Lord, we're grateful that you are Lord. We're grateful that there is a path for us to understand what Lordship means, what being a God means, what having a throne means. Lord, set us free from our Americanisms. We'd ask that we would know how to bow to things greater than ourselves, and that we would know how to recognize what is the greatest. In your son's name we pray. Amen.